gentlemen, please take your seats. Sorry, God, sorry. Good to see you here this afternoon. And um, as you can see, I'm being put on a little bit earlier than normal. That's because we're going to finish a little bit earlier than normal because straight after this five o'clock service, we uh, have our graduation service with all the students that are graduating and R.T. Kendall's going to be speaking at that and it's usually a, a wonderful event seeing people commissioned and prayed for and uh, hearing a, a word of commission and so that's why I'm on early so that we can give them time to set up, have photos and everything like that. Well, welcome to a new series at the five o'clock service. You already heard Gabriel earlier on speaking about the emphasis of the 2.30 service, how this month the 2.30 are emphasizing um, uh, relationships and courting pre-marriage. And then in August, the 2.30 service will be looking at marriage and how to have a strong marriage and going from engagement to marriage. But here at the five o'clock, we're going to be doing something similar but not similar because what we, we are looking at the topic of family, but we're going to be looking at it from a more theological uh, basis. We're going to be looking at what the Bible says about such things as the importance of the family. What is the family in the Bible. We're going to be looking at marriage. We're going to be looking at principles of parenting. We're going to be looking at fatherhood and motherhood. We're going to be looking at the Bible's teaching on such things as divorce, broken families and God's healing and the, the family of God. So we, we're really going to be looking at these things together. And so today is really an introductory uh, teaching on, and we've called this series, Family Matters. We're going to be looking at the matters of family, and we're also going to be saying how important family is. And so I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction. And the reason that I want to do a little bit of an introduction is because we can't take marriage and family matters for granted like maybe we did in former generations. If today you are to go into the streets and ask someone to give you a definition of say, marriage, they could give you two, three, four, five, six, seven totally different definitions of marriage. And uh, in fact, you could end up seeing quite a few arguments over what marriage is, what marriage isn't, who can marry who, and when, and how many you can have in a marriage, and all these types of things. It's like everything is up for grabs today. Also, when we speak about the family, I know that we can look back on former generations, perhaps with some rose-tinted glasses and think of them as the good old days. But when we speak about families today, uh, what are we talking about? In past days, uh, we might say, oh, your regular family, mom, dad, and kids. But today, family is, is, a, is very, very different. Uh, we have children who are living with their mum, but not their dad. They're living with another partner and stepsisters and stepmothers and stepbrothers and all kinds of arrangements. And, uh, and so again, what is the family? And how do we speak into all these different situations? The scene has changed so much that uh, when we look at what the Bible says, uh, we, we're almost preaching, if I can put it this way, almost virgin territory. And also, when we come to speak to Christians, Christians, uh, again, can be very different in their views and marriage of the family, broad differences. 
But often, you know, your traditional Christian has a traditional view of marriage and family, but if you ask them where that is in the Bible, they couldn't tell you. It's just something they've been brought up with or something that they've heard preached from the pulpit. And so when we start asking questions about family matters, marriage, family, roles, father, mother, husband, wife, children, when we start speaking about these things, we are speaking it, speaking it into an environment of complexity, uh, an environment of, um, of disagreement, and an environment of confusion, aren't we, if we're honest? And in fact, you know, beginning to study for this series, uh, I never felt so much pressure beginning to study for it, which is strange, really, isn't it? Because I'm thinking to myself about everything that's going on in society and the very strong opinions that people have and, um, and the animosity that people have against one another for their positions on marriage and this, that, and the other. And it's funny, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh, as I'm doing this, I'm feeling pressure, feeling pressure, thinking, oh, I better be careful what I say and how I say it and how it's interpreted in this current climate, which is really strange because I don't feel like that about almost any other subject that I would preach in the Bible. I, 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 I don't feel that sense of, oh, I better be careful here. Yet I do when we're talking about family and the marriage. What's that about? It's part of what we're dealing with. So we're going to look at marriage and family, and what I will be asserting from the Scriptures is this, that marriage and family are good gifts from God. That's what we'll see in the Bible over, over this, this, these two months, that these are not human ideas according to Scripture. Now, I've put in, in the um, advertisement that this is the Bible's teaching on marriage and the family. And there's many, many different other teachings about what marriage is and about what family is. And they're being taught in schools and colleges and all over the place and being spoken by media people and, and, and all these different opinions on, ma on marriage. I'm not going to be teaching my opinion on marriage. I just want to see simply what does the Bible say? Does the, do the scriptures have an opinion on family life? and marriage? If so, what are the Scripture's opinions? And whether you like the Scripture's opinions or not, whether you agree with them or not, I think it's important that they're heard too. So what we'll see is that marriage and the family are good gifts from God. In fact, they are God's blueprint, his pattern for a healthy society. Home is a sacred institution. The definition, as I've said, of terms of marriage and family have been thrown into utter confusion in today's Western world. What is marriage? What is family? Well, it's whatever you want it to be. Uh, normal family life? I don't know if there is such a thing as normal family life today if we walked up and down our neighborhoods and, and took a snapshot of the family lives in, in different places. Would we say that, that, that today in Britain there was a normal family? Or, or would we say that, you know, there is, the, the, the family can be anything? Well, one opinion is as good as another opinion. We have so many options, for example, in marriage. Is marriage between a male and a female only? Or is it, can marriage between, be between a male and a male? Or a female and a female? Or a male and a male and a female? Or a female and a female and a male? 
You know, if you go into society today in Europe, all of those things are being affirmed as being marriage. In some parts of Europe, um, you, you, are, you can already not only have a marriage between same sexes, and of course we can do that in Britain here today, but also you can have a marriage of three members. In fact, people are now pushing for polygamous marriages, where you can be married to more than one wife or more than one husband. And so the whole thing is up in the air. People are making things of it what they want. Well, so be it. But what does the Bible teach about these things? The Bible's view has been obscured, challenged, and increasingly replaced in modern Western society. It used to be that that the Bible's view on marriage and the family as being God's, God's idea was seen as a divine pattern. Maybe that pattern would not always be rec, re, uh, replicated uh, as perfectly as it should be with fall, in a fallen world and, and broken people. Sometimes God's best does not always take place and there's grace in situations like that. But, but recently, even the idea of God's idea of marriage and the family being the best that we can hope for has been uh, challenged. Today's modern secular society has different values. Instead of valuing marriage and family as something that comes from God, uh, modern-day secular society, a society that is increasingly trying to push God out of the picture, their values and what they prize is human rights. Or at least that's what they say, human rights. In other words, things like self-fulfillment or individual views or libertarian views, or human freedoms, human self-determination. Hey, if I want marriage to mean this, who are you to tell me that I can't mean it that? Hey, if I want to define my marriage or my family in a totally different way than you, if I want to marry two or three people, if I want to marry somebody of the same sex, what has that got to do with you? That's my human right. That's my individual freedom. That's my desire. Now, these things are what modern society prize this type of thinking, self-determination, self-fulfillment. If, if it fulfills me, then that's what I want to do, and I should be free to do it. So we see this clash of scriptural views, which we'll be looking at, and the idea today, hey, anything goes, and who are you to say anything doesn't go? And we might say, well, family matters. That's the uh, theme of these next two months. Well, does it really, really matter? Does it really, really matter? Changes of definitions. Can't people make marriage and family and adoption and all these issues? Can't they, do, can't they make it whatever they want to be? If it works for them, what is the problem here? Well, we will see that uh, your view on marriage and your view on family has great re re repercussions, repercussions not just for yourself and those that are involved in your marriage and family or whatever that might be, but also it has effects on society because marriage and the family is the human social unit on which everything else depends. The marriage and the family or the family is the cells that make up the body of society. You break society down 
nationally and locally, and you, you break it down, sooner or later, you're going to get to some sort of family unit, some sort of cohesion, however loose or strong, of people living and caring together. Somehow there's going to be some uh, expression of sexuality, some expression of rearing children. Somehow, in whatever way that is, you're going to come down to some view of marriage or not marriage or partners or whatever you want to call it and, and family. And what you have there is the healthy, the family, and the marriage of a society, the healthy that society will be. Because a society, in the end, is made up, yes, of individuals, but those individuals do not exist alone, do they? We're all born of a father and mother. Even if your father comes from a test tube, do you know what I'm saying? There was a father that gave that, even if you never knew your father. We all come from that. So these issues are important. When you look at the social ills of society, could it be that many of them are directly related to marriage and family uh, values? Divorce rates. Um, divorce rates. We'll be looking at the Bible's teaching on divorce. And, uh, but divorce rates. Divorce rates have a tremendous impact on children. Tremendous impact on children. Tremendous impact when people divorce and remarry or live with other partners and have other children, then what happens to the inheritance that's meant to be laid up for that child one day? Who gets it? Which child? Which partner? Which husband? Uh, what about the stability of raising a child? These things are issues. Um, partners instead of husbands and wives. People having partners, temporary partners, long-term partners. Teenage pregnancies, abortions, sex outside marriage, the issue of adoption. All these things are so important. Why? Because behind every one of these labels are human beings or individual stories, aren't there, of how people were raised. So family does matter. Now, I'd just like to read a few things from something that I downloaded and printed out that is of a great help if you're interested in such things. It's by the Centre of Social Justice and it's a green paper on the family. And it's very easy. You, you just go on Google and uh, you just go on Google and Google green paper on the family and you'll find this by the Centre of Social Justice. This was done in 2010 and the foreword was by Ian Duncan Smith, a member of the cabinet right now from the Conservative Party. So, so this isn't, you know, something that's made up. And this is a report on the state of the family in Britain. I know it's 2010, but it's not got better since then, and it's still a snapshot. So I just want to give you a feel of why these issues that we're looking at are important. And I've lifted these. Uh, it's an excellent um, paper. I do, if you're interested in these things, get hold of it. But let me just do a few highlights. I lifted straight from it. Um, the Centre of Social Justice Green Paper on the Family, forward by Duncan Smith, Ian Duncan Smith, 2010. And you can download it just by Googling for it. Family stability in Britain. This is from the paper, not me. Family stability in Britain has been in continuous decline for four decades. Since the 1970s, there has been a decline in marriage. Over the same period, there has been a marked increase in the number of lone parents, with a quarter of all children now growing up in single-parent households. That's a fact. A further one in four children are born to cohabiting couples. 
That's couples that are living together, but they're not married or have a civil partnership. A further one in four children are born into cohabiting couples. Around one in ten families uh, with dependent children are step families. So one in ten families in Britain are step uh, with children are step families. That means you're living with a, with a brother from another mother or another father, or you're living with somebody who is uh, not your father or not your mother, the, the, and, and, the, and the mixture that's there. That's one in ten. Fifteen percent of all babies are born and grow up without a resident biological father. Fifteen percent. And seven percent are born without a registered father on their birth certificates. Britain has the highest divorce rate and the highest teenage pregnancy rate in Europe. Tragically, at least one in three children will experience family breakdown in the form of parental separation by the age of 16. Just think of that. One in three children in Britain will experience family breakdown in the form of parental separation by the age of 16. Polling for Breakdown Britain in 2006 found that if you're not brought up in a two-parent family, you are, and these are facts, 75% more likely to fail at school, 70% more likely to be a drug addict, 50% more likely to have an alcohol problem, 40% more likely to have a serious debt problem, 35% more likely to experience unemployment and welfare dependency if you are not brought up in a two-parent family. Stable families, this is still the report, stable families are at the heart of strong societies. Stable, healthy families are at the heart of strong societies. It's within the family environment that an individual's physical, emotional, and psychological development occurs. It is from our family that we learn unconditional love. We understand right from wrong, and we gain empathy, respect, and self-regulation. These qualities enable us to engage positively at school, at work, and in society in general. The absence of a stable, nurturing family environment has profoundly damaging impact on the individual, often leading to behavior which is profoundly damaging to society. Family breakdown is particularly acute in our most deprived communities. In these areas, the concept of society is for many alien. Whole communities are socially excluded from the mainstream. It's in these areas where we witness the high le highest levels of worklessness, addiction, and offend offending. If we are to create a fairer, more socially mobile society, then we must invest in strengthening families. A strong, successful, and cohesive Britain needs strong families. Now, that is straight from this green paper. That's not me getting on a soapbox or preaching. They're facts. And the reason I read those things out to you is because that's what they are. It's a government, a report for government. It are facts. And at the end of all those things, what can we conclude? Family issues do matter. Family issues are important for us. Now, when we come, and I've already said right from the beginning, that Scripture says that God is interested not only in family and marriage, he's not just interested in it, he's designed it. That's what Scripture says. That from the beginning, in, in Genesis, we begin to see God's plan for 
the family. I mean, Genesis, the word Genesis means beginnings. And most of Genesis is actually a family story. It's stories about marriages. It's stories about families. It begins with Adam in the Garden of Eden, and a suitable helper is needed for Adam. And uh, one is found, not amongst the pets or the dogs or anything like that, but we see that wonderful picture of woman being taken from the rib of man, not from his feet to be under him or from his head to be over him, but from his side to be alongside him. And the Bible says, and we'll be looking at this in depth, it says that I will find a helper suitable for you. And that word helper is, is a little bit like um, junior partner, senior partner. The best way I can describe it without going into detail, because I will later on, is Colin is the senior minister of Kensington Temple, correct? And I'm the associate minister in Kensington Temple. That doesn't mean that he's better than me. But what it means is that together we have a role as senior minister and associate minister, both called to that role. I believe I'm, I've, been, I've been in that role for, well, I've been here for 21 years, 21, 22 years, and an associate, the associate minister for many, for quite a while in that. And I believe I was called there. I was believed to call, called to serve alongside Colin. But you won't find me saying, I, I should be the senior minister this week. Uh, because I don't, I don't get my sense of who I am by being an associate and not a senior minister. If I did, I wouldn't be here. And so I understand that one of my roles is to help him, is to serve him. And that doesn't mean I'm any less than him. doesn't mean he's better than me. But it's a partnership. And so we will see when we look at marriage that that's exactly what marriage is about. The husband is the senior partner and the wife is the associate partner. And when that's understood, things will work ready. Anyway, I've raised some things which I would need to explain um, deeper, and, and, and I will. And then throughout Genesis, we see families that become tribes and become nations. I mean, read Genesis from this view of family matters. And, and, it's, and it's amazing about, about what's there. I mean, even one of the, the key father of faith, Abraham... Abraham's story, isn't it, is all about marriage and family. It's all about that. His whole life and destiny is around marriage and family. It says in Genesis 28 and 14, the big promise to Abraham is all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And we know that many nations would come from him, but God has a design. He said, Abraham, I've chosen you. Because through you and your family, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. God had a plan for Abraham. And, and one of the things that Abraham had was, was that with his wife Sarah, he couldn't could conceive. He couldn't have a family. And God's promise that would bring about the gospel was based on, I will give you a family. I will give you a son. And then when Abraham messed up and made his mistakes, they were family mistakes, weren't they? Marriage mistakes. His wife said, why don't you take the Egyptian slave girl and take her as your wife and, and have a, a, a family through her and, 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 and the, rest, the, rest, the rest is history. And we think of other things that take place. I mean, like I said, the story of families. You think of the story of Isaac and finding his wife, Rebecca, and... Uh, 
We think of Jacob and Esau and those two brothers having problems together. The first murder, wasn't it, It was by two, two brothers when Cain murdered Abel and Jacob and Esau and the family blessing. And then out of Jacob, you've got 12 sons, haven't you? And Joseph's story. And in the end, Joseph, everything that happened to Joseph, in the end, although it blessed the whole nation, it came back to save his family. And then out of that family, the 12 boys had other children and children and children. And those families became extended and became tribes. And when God came and delivered them from Egypt, he brought them out and they were tribes of families. You see, uh, right through the time in Sa- I mean, even Samuel, Samuel, his mother prayed for him that she would have a child and Hannah and, and she did. And, and you look at David and his family and he was the least of his, I mean, everything, isn't it? I mean, Noah, God saved a family. He didn't just save Noah. He saved Noah and his sons and wives. Family, 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 family. Everywhere you look, family, family. What's going on? Family loyalties, family disloyalties, family fighting, uh, family revenge, family loyalty. It's all there. I mean, the book of Genesis has got more about family than any other book in the Bible. And then all of those, have you ever looked in the Bible and you get... All of those genealogies, you hit these genealogies and you think, I used to, when I hit, all right, I still do, when I used to in my Bible reading hit these big genealogies, I'd just flick over them. And sometimes I still do. But I remember once when I was, because, okay, I do still flick over them, but I remember once when when I was about to flick over them, I just felt, don't do it, read them. And read it out aloud. So I began to read out the genealogy aloud. And as I did it, I thought, wow, this is strange. These these are real people. And I used to think, I didn't vocalize it because I knew it would be wrong to say it, but in the back of my mind I thought, what's the point of all this? What's the point? You know, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, two others who begat them and begat, he begat, she begat, and everybody begat. I'm thinking, so what? So what? Give me something to edify myself. And I thought, wow, it's pretty amazing that God would put your dad in the Bible, do you know what I mean? And your grandfather. And It's pretty amazing that God would think enough to put in Holy Scripture genealogy. Right to the fact that, you know, the first time you open the book of Matthew or the book of Luke, it's genealogy. Why? It's families. And as you go through the genealogy of Jesus uh, as you go through the genealogy, one in Matthew and Luke, one genealogy is through Mary, and one uh, genealogy is through Joseph. And when you go through and you see the similar people, and you and you see who was Jesus's ancestor. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, that Jesus was the direct ancestor of Rahab, the prostitute that was saved from Jericho. That David was the direct ancestor. Uh, uh, you know uh, uh, that 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 um, also when you see the book of Ruth direct ancestor of uh, David and eventually Jesus. These things show that God works through families. Families are important to God. Families are the place where God's work is done. It's not just some sort of, let's throw it together, who we're going to live with, set up a shop, who who, who we're going to share a house with. Even God's view of the church is based on his view of marriage and the family. I mean, even the father's got a son. 
an only begotten son, but we also see that Jesus is the bridegroom again and again, don't we, in the New Testament? And the church with the bride. It's a picture of a marriage. When all this ends and Jesus returns, there's going to be a great celebration. You know what it's going to be? A wedding banquet. Everything, the fullness of God's grace. It's going to be a wedding banquet. We're the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. These things are important. And so I thought what the first thing I would do, having given a general introduction to these two months, that family matters and that family is important, and we will get very deep in some of these areas, I thought I'd go and do a little bit of a word study. In other words, when you read the word family in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, what does it actually mean? I mean, if we don't know what family means today, well, we all have different opinions on what marriage means in, in Britain today. We have different opinions on what family means. Well, if we were to go to the Bible, what would... Well, we're looking now at family. What does the Bible mean by family? Well, you can see four words that are used for family in the Bible. And two are Hebrew and two are Greek. Two are Old Testament words in the Hebrew and two are New Testament words in the Greek. And they sort of pair off. One Hebrew and one Greek seem to say the same thing and another Hebrew and another Greek word seem to say the same thing. So we'll look at the first pair and the first pair starts with a Hebrew word called mispaha. Mispaha. M-I-S-P. M-I-S-P-A-H-A-H, Mispaha, M-I-S-P-A-H-A-H. And this is found 300 times in the Old Testament. And, and this word, which is often translated family, can also mean clan, tribe, or people. So it can be translated family, tribe, clan, people. And what this word really means is your circle of relatives or your kingship group, your bloodline, your circle of relatives. In Genesis, uh, uh, Genesis, um, oh, I got that wrong, I can't be right. In, in Genesis chapter 1, when it speaks about every beast, every creeping thing, and every foul thing, and whoever creeps upon the earth after, according to their kinds. You know that word, according to their kinds? Well, this is the Hebrew word, mispaha, their kinds. What does it mean, their kinds? It means according to their kinship, their circle of relatives, according to their bloodline, according to, I suppose, what we would see, their, their genetics. So when Rahab is saved in Joshua 6.23... When, when it talks about Rahab, and we know the story of Rahab, she was the only one that was saved from the destruction of Jericho, only she wasn't saved herself. Herself and her mispaha, her family, were saved. And that means her circle of relatives and relationships. In 1 Samuel 9, verse 21, when Saul was told that he would be picked by the Lord to be the king, he complained because he said that he was least of the Israel families. Or clans, and this is the word here, mispaha. So this is really talking about extended family. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's not they're talking about your your sort of what what we call that 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 unit of mum, dad, and kids. This is talking about basically anybody that you're related to. So it's a little it's a little bit different to the the Western understanding of a nuclear family, which is mum, dad, and kids. 
This is talking about the extended family. So we see this a lot more in Asia and Africa where, where family is uncles, uncles, aunts, uncles and, and five or six times removed and it's just, it's a huge big family. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's the Hebrew word for family. That's what we're talking about. Big, extent. Hey, if, 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 there's, if there's a little bit of blood in them that's the same as you, it's family. It's extended. And so the, the sort of African... Asian model that is very different to that Western nuclear model, that, that's what this word is talking about. And the word that goes alongside that in the New Testament is a Greek word, and that Greek word is patria, patria, P-A-T-R-I-A, patria. And that's linked to the word patros. Anybody know what the word patros means in Greek? Father, that's right. Father. So this word patria, patria comes from the Greek word patros, which means father. So this word means descent or paternity, kinship, lineage. So Luke chapter 2, verse 4, it says that Joseph was of the family of David. But it's more than just the family of David. It says Joseph was of the patria of David. In other words, he was of the descent. He was of the lineage of, of David. It's this blood group. It's this genetic group of people that are related. In Acts chapter 3, verse 4. Acts chapter, in fact, I think I'll turn to it. It's always good to read something as well as refer to. Acts chapter 3, verse 4. Sometimes it's not good to turn to it when you've got the wrong. Um... <laughs> All right, just wait a second. When he's speaking about the promise to Abraham. All right, I can't find it. Don't have time today. Oh yeah. Uh... Uh, oh, no. oh, yes, sorry. Um, it must be verse 25 following. Let me just read this. Uh, Peter's preaching, You are sons of the prophets and the covenants that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your family, in your family, in your offspring, and all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, that word family, which word is it? It's patria. So, in other words, it's the family, it's the descent and so this word also can be found very powerfully, and let's hope I've got the right verse here, Ephesians 3, verse 15, which we will come back later, in, probably in August, when we speak about the family of God. You see, we talk about the family of God, we have to understand what God means by family before we talk about the family of God. Ephesians 3, 15. Sorry, for 14. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family, and in actually in my margin at the bottom, I have, or fatherhood. The Greek word patria is closely related to the word father in verse 14. So for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every fatherhood, or every paternal line, or every paternity in heaven and earth is named. And so that gives God as a picture, an archetype of all family relationships. So those 
two words that we looked at. What they focus on is they focus on blood relationships. That's what they focus on, blood relationships, who you have been born to and your extended tribe or, or, or time. That's what that's related to. Now, the other two words, we'll look at those briefly because they emphasize something else. The second Hebrew word is called bayit. Bayit. B-A-Y-I-T. B-A-Y-I-T. Now this bayit, basically, this is where we get the word household. And a bayit is a place where somebody dwelled, a dwelling. It could be a household, therefore a family. And the emphasis is on dwelling together. So in the Old Testament, sometimes when something is translated as the household of, this is the word that's being used by it. A dwelling place, a household, a family dwelling together. And its matching word, if you like, or its partner word in the New Testament is hoikia, O-I-K-I-A, O-I-K-I-A. Now this word simply means a building or a house. A building or a house, but by definition, it can mean a household. So just like we could say, oh, there's a house of bricks and mortars, and you might say, well, you know, uh, the queen is of the house of Windsor, isn't she? You say, what? She's of that bricks and mortar in Windsor? No, she's of the house. She's of the family of... And so, so that hokia means building, house, family, physical togetherness. So the first two words that we looked at... Miss Paha and Patria emphasize blood relationship. The second two words emphasize togetherness or locality of dwelling together as a family. Now, this is important because these are the key words in the Old Testament and New Testament. And that means that when we talk about family in the Bible, we're talking about who you're descended to and who you are blood related to on the one hand, but also who are you dwelling with? Who are you living with? Who is being raised and where? Your household. So family isn't isn't just one aspect of, oh, I'm related to loads of people all the way around the world and I never see them, but, but also family is, you know, who I'm living with, who I'm dwelling with. It's physical togetherness. And of course, that makes sense, doesn't it? Family, even today in society, it's recognized. You have all these paternity suits, don't you? And it's like, you know, oh, that fate, oh, David Beckham's my father, is he? You've never lived with him. He doesn't even know who you are. Oh, oh no, David Beckham's my father, and um, he must have had... You know, I'm making this up, by the way. Uh, he must have, just in case someone sues me, he must he, you know, he had an affair with my, with my mum when she was young. Da, 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 da. Oh, well, in order to find out if he is your father, what do you do? You have a blood test, don't you? And you get this again and again, and by law, that's very important, because even today... If you are physically descended from somebody, it's important in law. So there's a recognition of that, even in this modern-day society. But at the same time as that, there is also this physical togetherness. The idea of a family, of raising people, of being around your children, of being around together, of spending time together and doing life together. So these are the two aspects. The bloodline, the blood link, but also the locality, that which is being brought together. Now, I mentioned that the Bible doesn't so much emphasize the nuclear family, you know, the Western idea of nuclear family, mom, dad, kids, that's it. 
And if your grandma gets old, what do you do? You put her in a home. Why? Because she's not part of the nuclear family. You know, that's it. You know, and grandkids, well, you look after them, you know. Uh, very different to the Bible understanding of family as we've, ju as we've just seen. However, in a sense, there is a, a recognition of a nuclear family as well in that sense without forgetting the other words. It's, it's not opposed to those things. For example, two of the Ten Commandments address what we would call today the nuclear family. The idea that children honour your parents. So what we have in children honouring your parents, excuse me a second, in Exodus 20, verse 12 and 14, we have a vertical relationship. In other words, honour your father and mother. So that's speaking about the children's direct relationship with their parents. But then we also have the um, uh, statement, do not commit adultery which is the horizontal. So you've got the vertical. Children, honour your parents. Then you've got the horizontal. Do not commit adultery, which preserves the sanctity of marriage. And so those two are talking about a nuclear family in, in, in the sense that they're addressing the parents, the immediate parents, and the immediate uh, marriage partners there. And that's important. But that doesn't mean you discard the rest of what we've been look, looking at together. So in the Bible, a household is not so much a nuclear family. It's the place where people are living together. It's got locality, togetherness, and it's also got blood lines. I've already mentioned that when you look at Genesis, and especially if you spend time from Genesis 11 to chapter 50, it's just, it's just stories of family chronicles and family stories. It's family life. It's personal records of what... I mean, it's amazing, you know... I, just, I thought to myself, some of the stuff that, that you hear about in families, you know, it's like, God, that's private. I mean, I mean, everything that's in there, there are all sorts of stuff that goes on in there, the jealousies, the hatreds, and, and, the, and the mistakes. It's amazing. I mean, talk about, you know, big brother or whatever. That, nothing is spared. Warts and all. The best of family and the worst of family is recorded in Genesis 11 to 50. And this is important as we go along later on to look at different things. Because when we see family in the Bible, we do see the pattern. There is a pattern. There is a pattern. There is a model. God does have an ideal, but he also recognizes that some of the time the ideal isn't met. The ideal isn't met. And, and that's where God's mercy and grace comes in. You know, remember what, what Jesus said, and we'll look at divorce and marriage and remarriage and all that properly. And they were saying, how many times can you divorce? And, how, and when you get to heaven, which one's your wife? And Jesus is saying things like, you know what? Divorce was brought in for the hardness of your heart. In other words, divorce was given to Moses because of the broken situation of humanity. And it was recognized that sometimes things don't work for whatever reason. And so divorce. But Jesus said, but it was not so in the beginning. In other words, he's looking back to how it began, to, to the ideal. So the Bible gives us an ideal. But it is also very, very open to the fact that that ideal isn't always reached. And should you... 
be sitting here or watching this and thinking, oh, teaching on marriage and the family, I think that's the last thing that I want to hear. I was brought up in a totally dysfunctional family, you might be thinking, or maybe you're saying I was married and divorced, or maybe you were brought up in, in something and you said, do you know what, you know, I've, I, I don't even want to listen to this because I know what you're going to say, you're going to give me this pattern that I failed to reach, or, or you mentioned those things earlier on in the service about, you know, how that when we don't follow God's pattern, things don't work, and, and I've found that that's the case, or now I'm worried things aren't going to work. You have to understand that God has got a plan, and that God, God throughout the Bible, he is the one that brings wholeness to brokenness. He's always looking after the abandoned, the widowed. He's always looking after. Sometimes when, when, when nobody else wants to know a child, God picks that child and raises that child up. He goes to the least of the families. And so God is extremely interested in broken families. Extremely interested in broken people that have been broken. But he is interested. He is as much the God of the pattern as the God of the restoration and the healing. Just as God is holy and, ha and talks about holiness and that, and that God's pattern for holiness is the healthiest thing that we can follow, he doesn't leave those that have been broken by unholiness or affected by sin, either theirs or the others, does he? Jesus came for those that are broken. He came for sinners. He came for broken. He came to a broken society to fix it, not to condemn it, but to fix it, to make it whole. He was born into a family. He understands family. And so Jesus, when we speak about family life, we are not just saying, here is the pattern, and if you're not in the pattern, too bad. We're saying there is a pattern. We shouldn't be ashamed of the pattern. This is the pattern that is going to make us strong. This is the pattern that we should be, we, we should be following. This is the pattern. But hey, if you found yourself in some way broken in a broken pattern, or you yourself have found yourself having broken the pattern, then you don't stay where you are. God wants to bring healing and wholeness and strength and redemption. It's not one or the other. God's pattern, and if you, and if you, and if you haven't lived in his pattern, you're finished. Or throw the pattern away because nobody follows it anymore and we do our own thing. It's not either or, it's both. It's establishing again the pattern of family and marriage in society, starting in the house of God, establishing it, teaching it, understanding it, and seeing it bring health and strength to people. And at the same time, it's looking at those that haven't had the benefit of that pattern or themselves have somehow fallen down in that pattern and not, not ignoring them, but on the contrary, bring in the healing, bring in the blessing. I mean, if Jesus could go to a woman who had total broken family... And this I end. Total broken family. You know the woman by the Sumerian well? And she was there because in the heat of the day, because she couldn't be there at any other time. Why? She had been pushed aside by all the people in that, in that village. Why? Because you don't, you don't fit the family, uh, the family pattern of our village. And so you are excluded. She had to draw water. Jesus did not exclude her. Even when she was embarrassed and tried to hide the fact, and he said, go call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. He said, that's true. You've had five of them, and the one that... It, you can't get any more broken than that, can you? You can't get any more 
broken when, the, when, when we look at this and unpackage the family and the marriage, then that woman, she was from the most broken, yet God, God picked her out, blessed her, graced her, and then used her to reach a whole village. They didn't like that, but used her to reach a whole village. So we are not ashamed in these coming months to teach strongly what the Bible teaches. We hear everybody else's opinion on the news. What does the Bible teach about marriage and family and children and parents? We're going to teach that boldly. But at the same time, we're always going to have a message for the woman of Samaria because God delights in taking brokenness, fixing it, and making that person more whole than they were in the beginning as a symbol of his grace. We look forward to going through this with you. We're going to stop right now uh, so that we can get ready for our graduation this evening. God bless you.